God leads you as you exit. But we do want to send it forth with prayer. So uh, Glenn Mendoza, Jr., new generation of leaders into the church. And that's why we're here this morning. Now, the foundation for revival is the same as the foundation for our lives and for actually everything else that goes on. And that is God's word. But revival itself is not based solely on an understanding of God's word. That understanding needs to come first, obviously. But revival requires something more. It requires a desire and a courage to pursue in our lives the realities that we see in Scripture. All too often, there's a disconnect between what we read and rejoice in in Scripture and what we see in our lives. When God introduces and works in a generation, he does that to reset for the church what he really planned for them. Hunger for more of God is what brings revival. Jesus said, and it was on the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Hungering and thirsting, moving after. It's the opposite of complacency. Too often in church history, the church has settled to coasting along. Now, granted, the church is coasting along on a level much higher than the world. But it's still not the fullness of what God has planned. To coast means that you're choosing a plateau instead of the mountaintop. To coast means that you are going to set your anchor at a certain stage where you are comfortable. I don't particularly read any promises of being comfortable. What God wants us to do is to be spiritual men and women. We see revival as an individual, as a church, as the entire body of Christ, when we refuse to be satisfied with anything less than the fullness of what God has made available to us in Christ, a fullness that we read about in the scriptures. Revival builds a bridge between what is presently seen and what we see in scripture. We want to move from the life we, are in, we live to the life that God envisions for us. And as I said two weeks ago, I believe that this coming revival will be marked by the church rising up and believing something that Jesus said the night that he was arrested. It's from John chapter 16. And why don't we read that? John 16, 5. He's talking to the apostles. But now I am going to him who sent me. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Think about that. It is to your advantage that I go away. Don't read that too quickly. Because we all know that he went away. It is to your advantage that I go away. That is a true statement. Jesus even, he always told the truth, but he prefaced this statement by saying, I tell you the truth. That's like redundant when it comes to Jesus. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. If you look around the church today, or even throughout most of history, it looks as though Jesus was exaggerating a bit. It's been good, but better? 
to our advantage better than it was when he walked the earth? That's what he said, and he prefaced it by saying, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It is presently available. It is the life that we can live. We have been presently empowered to live a life that is better than the life we could have lived in the Gospels were we with Christ. And that to me is just mind-boggling. It's, it's one of those scriptures, we're Christians, it's not hard for us to say the Bible is true, okay? That's the easy part. The Bible is true. This verse is obviously true. But here's the thing, this verse is not experience. This promise is not experience. I believe the next revival is going to take the church where men and women throughout the world are going to see that it really was an advantage that Jesus went to the Father. And that's going to be seen out in our lives. God was not preparing us as Christians to hide out in bunkers waiting for Jesus to come back. We are, after all, more than conquerors. And what do conquerors do? They win. They conquer. And this brings me to the transition of leadership here at Grace. I am not retiring from ministry, by the way. I'm praying to God for 25 more years of ministry. I am, however, thank you. I am, however, stepping aside from leading Grace Christian Fellowship, and that is at God's direction. I have been blessed to serve you and to serve with you for these past, it's several decades now. But God has shown me that the church has gone as far as it can go under my leadership. And he did not tell me that to express dissatisfaction or to reprove me, but simply to prepare me and us, because God has other things in store for this church, and he has been preparing a new generation of leaders to take us there. And it was interesting, and I have known this for several years now, that God, he told me in 2016 that he wanted me to step aside from leading within five years. And I had shared that with our board several years ago. I shared it with our leaders about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago now. And then I was just, okay, God, and I'm waiting for God to show me more. And then last February, God moved me to go and meet with the Bovas, the blacksmiths, and the Mendozas. And the only uh, preface to that meeting was I asked them to look to God to see what he would have them to do once I stepped aside from leading grace. Because I wanted this to be God-directed. We don't need to go orchestrate things. In each case, with each couple, God had already been working within them along the same lines that he had been working within me. And let me tell you, when you see that, that is tremendously faith-building. When you see that it wasn't the structure that you built, it's the structure that God built that we get to live in. That is remarkable. And our transition in leadership involves two, real, two basic aspects or categories. It involves both the board and the direct leadership of ministries within grace. Now, as a board, Garrett will now be the president of the board, and Stephen will be the vice president of the board. Now, the other members, you might not know who all the other members of the board are. We don't keep a very high profile. 
but the other members of the board are Donna Clayton, Doug Esmond, Glenn Mendoza, Tim Olaska, and myself. Did I count up everybody? I looked at my secretary. I'm counting up seven names. And uh, it's been a great blessing to serve with these men and women, and Garrett is now going to lead us on the board. And the board has an overall stewardship responsibility before God to set and help carry out the vision for the church, which will be Garrett's responsibility to go to God on from this point forward. Then there's the direct leadership of what goes on within the church. And in that regard, Garrett will be our lead pastor, and he will be assisted in all points by Stephen. And then Jess Mendoza is going to continue leading our music and worship ministry, and she's going to continue in that capacity. But before we officially transfer the leadership of the ministry, I wanted to read to you from the books of Timothy. Because Timothy was written to a young leader by an old leader. <laughs> and it gives tremendous insight into what is required to lead the church. And the interesting thing about that is it doesn't give you details about what to do. It paints a big spiritual picture of the kind of men and women we are who lead of the big picture of where God wants the church to go. The details, God doesn't spell them out because they're different for every congregation. They're different for every culture. But Timothy, the recipient of these letters, was a young man when he first became associated with the Apostle Paul and traveled with him. Later, Timothy was set to lead by God, through Paul, to lead the largest work that we're aware of in the first century, and that was the church in Ephesus, from which all Asia and the world heard the word of God. And I'd like to read the first two verses of 1 Timothy chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul worked with Timothy as a father with a son. That gives us elder leaders a tremendous example of the kind of relationship he wants those of us who are elders to have with those who are younger. With Timothy, Paul regarding him as his true child was especially needful. Because although Timothy's mother and grandmother were Christian, his father was not. And in their culture, the father took the primary responsibility for molding the son. And I'm sure Timothy's father did whatever any good Roman citizen would do, but he didn't do in the way and fashion that God would have a child raised. So in this way, Timothy really was a true child of Paul, a true spiritual child. For Garrett and for Stephen and for Jess, I know their fathers. They're all Christian men. They have all endeavored to commit to their children as much as they knew themselves of the ways of God. And that's wonderful. But even with that, I still feel that they are, all six of them, my children in the faith. And that's how I view them and treat them and love them. 
Also in these first two verses, you see Paul's greeting, a salutation. Letters always have a salutation. Our letters tend to be short salutations. Hi, Fred. Let's go right into what I'm saying. They had longer salutations in, in Bible times. And in each of the church epistles, Paul starts with a salutation bringing God's grace and peace to the recipients. You can read every church epistle. They all have that within the first few verses. Timothy is different. He adds something. Not just grace and peace, but grace, mercy, and peace. As leaders, we need all three in order to carry out the charge that God has set before us. And before I read to you from Timothy of that charge, I would like to ask the Bovas, the Blacksmiths, and the Mendozas to please come up front along with uh, Fred and Steve Carter and my wife Susan. And if you could all stand up behind me there. I'm having you socially distanced so you don't have to wear your masks. Jessica said that it, she was out of breath singing this song. I mean, I think she forgot she's also pregnant. <laughs> Might not have been the, that, that could have had something to do with it. Aren't these wonderful believers? I am so thankful. I have the couples coming up because I always treat couples as a unit, as a team. They are, after all, one flesh. And they move and minister together, even if they might have different responsibilities within the church. And being an elder requires, first of all, that we have a desire to be an elder. God doesn't tap you for this against your will. So I would like to look at the qualifications to an elder as they are listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and following. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. That is the one overweening requirement of an overseer, that they are above reproach. It doesn't say perfect. It says above reproach. What I'm going to read next are simply illustrations of what it means to be above reproach. And only one of them has anything to do with skill. One of them is be able to teach. Everything else that God asks of a leader relate to your character. Because we are called to represent Christ. I want to represent Christ accurately. I want to reflect him back properly. And that's what this is about. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that, they, so that he may not fail or fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. All six of you are wonderful representatives of Jesus Christ. 
as are the three people I've asked to stand alongside you. You exceed the qualifications that I've just read for being an elder. There are two charges that I want to read to you, again, from Timothy. These are God's charges to leaders. And after we do that, we're going to do something else. I'll explain that in a second. We'll keep you all in suspense. First charge is from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I think it's interesting that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. As a leader, you need great patience. And the second charge, I'm going back to the beginning, to 1 Timothy. Paul started the books of Timothy with this charge. I'm closing this charge to you. It's in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, and it's in verse 5. It says, The aim, the goal, the purpose of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. My charge to all of you, and particularly to you, Garrett, is the same. It is to love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. And we are now going to share salt. The six of you on the stage are going to share salt, which is a, a symbol of your commitment to God, to one another, and to the church. But before we do that, God added something to the service last night. I had, I had everything prepared for today by yesterday afternoon. Susan and I were over here. We set everything up. I was set and ready to go. And I wasn't thinking about today. I was writing in my journal. And God said he wanted these three couples prophesied over because he wanted to have his words upon you directly, not simply through the scriptures, which are wonderful words, but he wanted to have his words directly. And I asked Fred and Steve and my wife Susan to prophesy over the couples. So uh, I'm going to ask each of you to do that. I'd like you to position yourself behind them so you can have a hand on each shoulder. And then there is a microphone somewhere. Ah, here we go. Turn it on. Thank you, Susan. <laughs> Stephen, could you hold this? And Fred, could you please pray and prophesy as you're led? what they represent for the next generation. The representation of a living word, a truthful word. the future that you've given to us 
and the people here at Grace Christian. That each one has a purpose. That each one has importance without shame or guilt. We thank you, Father, for your goodness, your love, your tenderness, and your mercy. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Rejoice with me this day, my children, knowing that I, the Lord, thy God, have called you, have strengthened you, and upgirded you. It is I, the Lord, thy God, that work in you. So always keep your eyes fixed upon me. Keep your hearts right next to mine, your ears next to my lips. For I, the Lord, thy God, will direct you, guide you, give you great wisdom and understanding. Therefore, walk in love, great love. Walk in great patience. And walk before me with great honesty and integrity as my sons and daughters. Fear not, for I, the Lord thy God, am with you. Doubt not, for I doubt not you. For I have called you and placed my spirit within you. For this next calling is a great and mighty calling. There it's on. Okay, good. Garrett, could you hold this for Steve? Our Heavenly Father, what an honor it is to stand with these two and I am humbled with your love and your goodness. Humbled by your hand in our lives. That you would look upon us as so worthy to walk with us and have intimacy in a relationship with us. That you would so love us that you would bestow all good things, including the life of your own son and the spirit of your son into our hearts, whereby we may cry, Daddy, back to you. So, Father, we thank you for this moment, for this time, and for your goodness and for your heart that Garrett is presenting. For truly I, your God, have called you into my great story, as I have called many before you with upright hearts to stand with me and to stand for me. I call you now to be my own, to serve and to bless and to minister, to walk in the love of Christ Jesus and to be strong in the grace that I have given you in him. Have no fear. Where there are doubts, I have overcome them. For truly, I, your Heavenly Father, have seen you from before the foundations of the world. I watched you knit in your mother's womb. I have called each of you in both. From before the ages, for this time and for this moment. So know that I, your Heavenly Father, am with you. I shall never leave nor forsake you. Truly, you are my children, my own. You are in my bosom, and you are in my heart. One of the great temptations against leaders is doubt, and God said he was taking care of your doubts.
Uh, Glenn, could you hold this for Susan? God, we are so incredibly humbled and thankful to be here today, to be a part of what you're doing, to be a part of all of these people's lives, but specifically for Jess and Glenn. I give them to you, God. And as the church, we stand with Jess and Glenn and Stephen and Laura and Garrett and Danny. And God, thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing. Thank you that we can do your will, God, and that your word can continue on from generation to generation. Thank you for the foundation that has been laid, and that foundation is Jesus Christ, and that we can each represent him and be Christ to one another and to the world. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray. My beloved children, and that is who you are. You are my beloved, and you are my children. My spirit resides within you. And because of that, you are fully equipped to do all that I am placing before you to do. I have set a course for you, and you can run that course with patience, with confidence, with trust in me and in me alone. Proclaim my love and my goodness and my grace. Your lives will touch many. And know that every step of the way, I am there with you. I will never fail you. You have been made holy. You have been made pure. my son so walk forth boldly proclaiming my praises and my love and my goodness baptism my beloved children isn't that great Glenn, could you put that back please and then, Garrett, I wonder if you could please just step forward. I'm going to get behind you. We have a helper. So thankful for this young man. I have called you, my son, to be my own.
I have commissioned you to lead my people. So have great confidence. I will not abandon you as you carry out my word. I will strengthen you. I will fill you with wisdom. I will fill you with compassion. I will make you a man you never thought you could be. And I will stand you before great men to proclaim my word, to touch lives, to heal bodies, to restore souls. I will never leave you or forsake you all the days of your life until my son returns to welcome you home. Salt represents many things in God's word. Purity, salt preserves. Jesus Christ said we are the salt of the earth. And God's words are truly salty. They are pure words. And he announced them over each of you and has commissioned you to lead his people. And I would like, I've asked each of the three that prophesied over you to allow you to take salt, not just between you and God, but to you and your spouse and to the church that you serve and lead. So you can do that. Well, if you could all please stand and welcome our new lead pastor. Reverend Garipova. Thank, right. Thank you. Take a seat, guys. Appreciate you guys being here today. It is, a, it is a wonderful day as we honor Bob and Susan, and I want to just say thank you. Bob and Susan, you have laid such a foundation for everybody in this room regarding so many matters in the spiritual realm. And for Danny and I, you, you have shown us what it looks like to walk in love with our Father and our Lord. And you have shown us what it looks like to have a hunger for truth 
And it is for that that Danny and I have been drawn to you both and your ministry. Um, and not just a hunger for truth, but a hunger to live it out in love and purity. And so for that, we thank you. I thank you for pastoring me and showing me what it looks like to have a relationship with God. And you better not be going anywhere, man, because I'm going to need your mentorship. But I mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And your desire to want more as well. You've been in the Word a long time. You've been in ministry a long time. But you still have a desire for more. And I never, ever want to lose that. And I won't. But I see it in you. And it's so inspiring. And I want to thank the Mendozas, too. It is an honor to be able to serve with them. I mean, I want you guys to understand that those two people are people who have absolute purity and a heart to serve you and to love you. And the blacksmiths, Stephen and Laura, their hunger to love you and to want God's will for you, it makes it an honor to serve with them. Paul wrote this. You guys know who uh, Epaphroditus is? Yeah. For those of you who are not in Philippians, Paul's writing to the church of Philippi, and he's talking about this guy, Epaphroditus. And this is what he says about him. He says, Epaphroditus is my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. And Steve, that is exactly who you are to me, man. You are my brother. You are my fellow worker. And you are my fellow soldier. And like God says about Timothy, he says, or excuse me, Paul says this about Timothy. He says, I have no one like him who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. And that's Stephen Blacksmith. I have no one else like him who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. And so this is, uh, this is quite the thing to see God in motion and to see what is in store for this ministry moving forward. And I will tell you, it is an absolute honor to be able to, to serve God's people. We ought to know that the hearts of men and women are the most important thing to God. And to be able to lead and to be able to serve in the various areas that we do, we cannot take that lightly. And that's not just the guy or the gals up on stage. That is, everybody has got a calling to serve God's most prized possession. That is the hearts and the lives of people around us. And Danny and I, wow, it, is, uh, it has been a joy to be uh, in positions to serve. But I will say that none of this is possible without the type of woman that God has paired me with in Danny. That woman has an ability with such purity to hear the voice of God and to challenge me, to support me in the man that God wants me to become. And I might be standing up here, but I hope you guys know it is one flesh. It is one flesh. And so I know I speak for her when I say it is an honor to serve you guys and to lead this ministry in this way. And when I say Danny and I, I also speak about Lily and Brody.
because it is a family effort. Lily, thank you for your patience. And Brody, thank you for your patience and your love for other people and all the things that you guys share with everyone in this room and everybody listening in and watching because you guys so selfishly share your mommy and daddy because you know how important it is to them. So thank you for that. And mom and dad, thank you both for raising me with such reverence for God by your life today. So thank you. You know, we want what the Father wants. And Jesus said it like this. He says, pray this. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you want to talk about culture moving forward from the foundation that Bob and Susan have laid in their ministry, I'll tell you right now, that's exactly what I'm after. I'm after on earth as it is in heaven. That's kingdom culture. It might be different than what you've experienced in the past, but there's more. There's kingdom culture available to us today. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's what I'm after. There's a lot of talk about revival. I can tell you, and I hope you you hear me, I'm not after revival. I am after God's will. I'm after God's will. I'm after God's will. Some people might think it's, it just makes sense, and you probably saw this coming a long time ago where Danny and I would be lead pastors of this church. And, And I'll tell you that That is not something we have ever aspired to. And I will also tell you, it wasn't until six months ago that God had spoken to us regarding the matter. See, we want to hear God's voice in everything we do. We don't want to assume certain things. We want God's will. And six months ago, God said, I want you guys to lead this ministry. And so we say yes. And so in this role, I'll tell you, you know, I, I've, I've told those that are close to me, I said, in the natural, it seems like I'm, I have no idea what I'm talking, doing. I mean, honestly, in the natural, it seems like I'm weighing over my head. But when God says to do something, we listen, we're obedient. And when God gives you a task, you get to see him operate, and you get to see him fulfill the mission that he's given to you. And all things of God are far beyond and above what you could ever do on your own anyway. And so th- for that, I'm very excited. But I want you to know this. And please hear me, this type of culture that's being developed, this type of kingdom culture where there's purity, there's expectation on God to do something that is far beyond what you can actually conceive, this type of culture with the expectation that we are to make Jesus Christ literally the cornerstone of our lives, of our personal lives, this type of culture is not a one man and a one woman show or a team of six. That's, that's not how it works in the body of Christ. It's everybody. It's a team game. It's a team game. Those that follow Jesus, if you wanted to be in on what he was talking about, you had to participate. So I will tell you right now, I want to I wanna settle any expectations that I'm going to entertain you because you 
you're not going to find it here. Uh, you're just not going to find it on a Sunday. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to live more like Christ. I want to challenge you to walk in that light that he has put within you. I want to challenge you to walk blamelessly and above reproach. I want to challenge you to be the man and the woman that God has called you to be. For those closest to you, your family, your friends, their kids, and generations to come. So that's, that's my job. I want to challenge you, and I want you to challenge those around you with the type of love that you display and the type of purity that you bring forth. That's the type of culture that we're growing into based off of the foundation that Bob and Susan have laid with their ministry. You see, it's like a, it's like a I played football, so it's kind of like, like a football game, you know? You, you can't advance the ball down the field with two players, six players. You need a team. Everyone's got gifts. Everyone's got talents. If we want to see heaven on earth, we're all operating in what God has designed us with and who he's designed us to follow. And please, I'm not going to be perfect, I'll tell you right now, but I'm going to endeavor to seek after and to listen to the heart of God and to lead you with love and purity. I want to challenge you by my life. And those of you who are close with me, you've seen my life. I want nothing more than the very best that he has to offer. And I want that for you. I want that for you. And I'm so excited to see what's going to happen. Because revival is here. Revival is restoring something back and making it better. Revival is strengthening something and bringing it into a position that is better than its current state. And this is just my opinion, but every revival that has occurred in the past brings us that much closer to this verse in Genesis. Genesis 1.26, where God says, let us make man in our own image. And then in verse 27, he says, in the image of God, he created them. You know, you were made for the image of God. That's your being. So what did it look like in the very beginning? Well, when God created Adam and Eve, he lived with them. He dwelled with them. It was perfect heaven on earth. Man had dominion, man had power, man knew who he was, man walked in righteousness, man walked holding his father's hand. God was with them in the cool of the garden. They did life together. That's what God wants today. And every revival we've had has gotten us back to that original image of who you were designed and created to be. And now each revival has different aspects of that, but that's what I'm after. And I, I think it's, a, it's an understatement to say one of my favorite verses, but rather one of the verses that has framed and shaped my life is Romans 8.28. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might, referring to Jesus Christ, might be the firstborn among many brethren. When I read that, it's changed everything. That's my life. He knew about my life. He foreknew about my life. He foreknew me. Before anything existed, 
he had the knowledge of me and of you. And he's predestined you to be conformed, to grow into the image of his son, which is Jesus Christ, so that Jesus Christ would be the firstborn among many of us that would behold the spirit of God in its absolute fullest form to bring heaven on earth. That's what we're after. We're after the image of Jesus Christ. He came to show us what it looked like to have the fullness of the Father dwelling with him and operating in the kingdom of heaven. That is what I'm after. And I'm telling you, revival is in the air right now. There's an awakening regarding identity. Don't miss it, though. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it like those that saw Jesus. When Jesus, after he's baptized, he goes to read scripture in the temple. When he says the spirit of the living God is upon me, he's reading from Isaiah, prophecy regarding himself. And after he puts it, he says, this has been fulfilled in your ears today. And everyone for a few moments is just in awe of like, oh my gosh, this is the Messiah. This is, he's proclaiming to be the Messiah. He's proclaiming to be the Son of God. And then you have some other guy get real smart and says, wait, wait a minute. Isn't this the carpenter's son? And then everyone agrees because they're looking at the natural and they miss it. You know it's possible to miss great moments if you're not expecting it if you're not anticipating it, if you're not sensitive and aware to what's in the air? I mean, how do you have the Son of God, the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, who spoke with the fullness of grace, nothing but truth that he heard his Father say, literally speaking words from his Father, and yet you have people make fun, stone, or try to stone, try to capture, crucify this man. How does that happen? It tells me it's possible to miss greatness when it's right before you. And I'm telling you, there is a great moment here. There's a great moment here. In this season, this time, I'm telling you, revival is here. Revival is here. A moment where you get to be included in seeing a mighty work of God come through. And I'm telling you, not like it's coming. I'm telling you it's already here. And it's not just in this church. Let's just understand that. <laughs> We're not talking about church plans and where we plan to go. We plan to go to revival. No, revival is happening in the body of Christ at large. And there's an awakening regarding identity. And it's men and women, young and old coming to an understanding of what God says about them and who he's calling them to be and who he's called them to follow. And his name is Jesus. When I counsel for couples with, with weddings, and I say, look, it's the biggest day of your life to date. Step back. Be sensitive to it. Observe it. Don't busy yourself. Soak it in. 
enjoy it. Because it's easy to miss. It's easy for it to just go by in a hurry. Great moment in time. If you're not careful, you're going to miss it. And I'm going to tell you the same thing. If we're not careful, we're going to miss it. If we busy ourselves, if we think that's just for them up there, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss the opportunity to see God at work in our lives. We're going to miss the opportunity to see the kingdom of heaven very well present in your lives. Like Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, Genesis, uh, Jacob takes a nap, falls asleep, and he has that dream with the ladder going up to heaven. And he sees angelic an activity, he hears the voice of God, and he wakes up and he says, surely God was in this place, surely the Lord was in this place and I didn't even know it. Surely the Lord was in this place and I didn't even know it. Let's be aware of what's going on. We can walk out of here. We can leave here. We say, that was a nice, that was a nice service. Can't wait for next week. Or we can be sensitive to the fact that the Holy Spirit is not confined to these walls and discipleship is not confined to a service or a particular act of service. Discipleship is the small decisions that you make when no one's looking to choose God's will over yours. That's the living sacrifice. That's Romans 12.1. Paul says, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable and pleasing to God. That's the disciple of Jesus Christ. A life that says yes. A life that says, I'm everything that you've designed me with, everything you designed me with, I'm going to use it to honor and glorify you. If that's behind the camera, if that's up on stage preaching, if that's in the kitchen, whatever that looks like, I don't know. But I'm excited to see what it looks like. With hungry hearts that are willing to lay their lives down for God's will for their lives. To pick up what they could never achieve on their own. The one who satisfies when nothing else will satisfy. I believe that the people within this ministry that say yes, that, that say I want to play too. I want to be in the huddle. I want to play too. You're going to be a righteous people. You're going to walk just like Jesus Christ. I know this. I'm very confident of this. You're going to be a people that show others what it looks like to walk in purity. You're going to get back to that Genesis 126 verse where God says, let me make man in my own image and in my likeness. We're going to be that type of people. If you're following me and Danny and those that God has put us so closely knit to, I promise you, you're gonna have you're gonna have no choice but to jump in and play too. And it's not just for you, 
But like I said earlier, it's for the people around you as God's desire. It's for your kids, 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 kids. To see the very best of what God has intended for that individual to come out. It's here. Revival's in the air. Amen? All right. I'm going to pray. God, we just thank you so much for all that's in store. Father, I thank you for your grace, not just over me, but over everybody here. I thank you, Father, for your grace upon everyone that wants your will above theirs. that desires to be conformed to the image of your son, Father, fulfilling your perfect will. Men and women who fellowship with you, whose lives are living sacrifices, which is perfect worship in your eyes. So God, I thank you. I bless everybody here, Father, and even those that are listening in. And, Father, I pray that you just work in the hearts of the hearers, Father, those that has, have accepted your will for their life, and they have accepted Christ as their Savior. And those that haven't, Father, I pray that there is a great work in their lives happening right now as I speak these words. Father, I thank you for helping the hearers Repent from any way that is contrary to your will and take the steps necessary to open the heart and the mind as they walk and they choose your will. God, I love you so much, and I'm so thankful for your mighty hand that's upon us and those that you've allowed me to lead. May grace abound, Father. May grace abound. In Jesus Christ's name, my Lord, I pray.